this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. We all pray with me. Um, God, we thank you that you are a good God and your name is holy. Lord, we pray that even now your kingdom would come here. God, we pray that in this room that your will would be done here, right here, Lord, on earth as it is in heaven. God, I pray that you would give each of us our daily bread, the things that we need for our heart and for our souls and our spirits and our minds to love you with all of ourselves. Lord, we pray that you would give us that this morning. God, we pray that you'd forgive us our debts, just the places where we know we need you and we haven't come to you, the place where we have been rebellious and defiant and disobedient. Lord, I pray that you would turn our hearts back to you today and that you would help us to forgive others as they have done things to harm us. Lord, sometimes forgiveness is so hard, and so I pray that you would just equip us to forgive those that we need to forgive. God, I pray that you would keep our hearts and our minds and our spirits um, strong against temptation, Lord, and that you would deliver us from the evil that seeks to devour us. Um, Lord, help us to love you. God, we pray all these things in your name. Amen. Amen. As you find a seat, let me invite you, if you have a copy of God's Word, to take it out. We'll dismiss our school-age kids to the back. They're going to head back there and learn all kind of cool things. And as they're going there, uh, I want we're going to do something new today. You've come on a really great day. Well, I'm not talking about money, which makes it great. And we're starting a new series, okay? Somewhere in the series, we will talk about money. But anyway, that's, that's, not, that's, not, that's not today. So you came on a good day. Um, some of our First Impressions team is going to hand out uh, our connection guide. And if you got one when you came in, that's fine. Everybody in here needs one. Every student, every, every kid, everyone needs one of these. This is a full participation day. Uh, Heather's walking around. Uh, some other people walking around. If you need one, just wave at them while they're walking around. Everyone needs one of those, so uh, they're coming your way. A few months ago, we talked through the Apostle Paul's letter to uh, the Philippian church, to Philippi, and uh, I really made a note to come back to this one passage that really stirred my heart. Now, we walked through uh, that, that letter uh, in, in a couple months, but I wanted to come back here in Philippians 1. Let me remind you of this passage. I want us to think about this together for a minute. He says in verse 27, the Apostle Paul, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to the church, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ so that whether I come and see or I'm absent, this is it, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Striving side by side for faith of the gospel. I just love that picture. Man, this lights my heart on fire. That we would do this thing together. Striving side by side. See, Christianity is not like uh, golf where it's just about you. It's not, it's not a bunch of golfers getting together. No, this is a team sport. And this is what the Apostle Paul is telling the church. And through that, reminding us today that we are in this thing together striving side by side for faith. Whose faith? For your faith. 
When you strive by, side by side, when you're one mind, when you're doing this together, your faith, somehow in the economy of God, somehow in the kingdom of God, your faith begins to grow. When you do this for your faith, for their, for their faith, for our faith, that there's others around you as you strive side by side for faith in the gospel, that their faith is going to grow. And then finally for their faith outside of these walls, those that don't even know Jesus yet, the lost sons and daughters of God, their faith. This is, there's a lot on the line here, Paul's saying. We are striving side by side. This is an athletic term. It's where we get the English term athlete from, from this Greek word. Another translation says it this way, battling as a team with a single aim for the faith. Someone told the famous English preacher in London, Charles Spurgeon in the 19th century, that they told him, one of his parishioners, that he didn't need the church, that he could be a Christian on his own. And Spurgeon said, although that might be true, you won't be a very hot one, he says. And as he talked, he went over to the fireplace and took one coal out and he set it aside. And within minutes, that coal had cooled the room temperature and he made his point. Striving side by side together. We were made for community. This is how God has orchestrated the thing to work. God, the Godhead itself has always been in this perfect community of father son and spirit and he's invited us into that to be a faith family so we're calling this series all in that sounded better than everybody in but that's really what i'm thinking everybody's in you know when you get to a huddle and the coach gives you the play and he says okay everybody in put your hand in the middle and you say some cheesy phrase you know Go Tigers or go Christians, whatever we, whatever we say, right? This is us. Everybody, everybody in. I want this to be something. This is my challenge to our faith family that we would all take a faith step together. Every week of this series for the next seven weeks, that there is a very practical faith step that all of us need to take. And we're all going to take it together. I would love to see 100% participation in this. And the steps aren't crazy hard. They're pretty simple just to take a step together. You know the leadership rule, the 80-20 rule in a typical organization, 20% of the people do 80% of the work. But what if that wasn't true in the church? What if that wasn't true in our church, but that everyone pulled the load, everyone shared, <clears throat> everyone shouldered a burden, everyone gave? I think something incredible might happen as we strive not just sit together but as we strive together side by side for faith in the gospel so today we're going to talk about everyone praying and then everyone walking with God and everyone serves and on and on and we're going to talk about it we're going to give you a practical faith step this is a great series to invite someone that you might know that has not been to a local worship gathering in a long time this is a great series we're going to give them an easy step to do together. Today we're going to talk about prayer. Now we did a lengthy sermon series on prayer just a few months ago called uh, Pray What You've Got. We'll link to that in our Friday email. If you don't get our Friday email, you find Heather, tell her you want to be on the email list and she'll make sure you're, you're on that list. 
we'll maybe link to that series. You can go back and check out that. I think we did eight sermons on prayer. The most famous passage on prayer in the Bible is what we call the Lord's Prayer. I guess it would really be the disciples' prayer because Jesus can't really pray this exact prayer. It's in your Bible twice, in Matthew chapter 6 and then in Luke 11. And I don't want to spend a lot of time necessarily on how to pray today, the formula of prayer. But that's certainly included here. I want to focus on verse 9, chapter 6, verse 9 of Matthew, just the one verse. Pray then like this, Jesus says, our Father in heaven hallowed be your name. In the version in Luke 11, the disciples come to Jesus that's prompting this teaching, and they say, Jesus, teach us to pray. Now, I've noted, never noticed this before, but I want you to notice that the, type, the disciples didn't ask Jesus, Jesus, teach us how to pray. Now, Jesus responds with a bit of a formula, but there's something way more powerful going on than the formula of prayer. They said, Jesus, teach us to pray. See, they had seen Jesus up close. Now, these were good Jewish boys. They had learned all the famous prayers of the Old Testament. They had to memorize the prayers of the prophets, the, the, the prayers of Elijah, the prayers of the Davidic covenant. They had all the Old Testament prayers memorized. But Jesus comes on the scene and he prays differently. He prays with intimacy. He prays in relationship. He prays with power and fervency. Hebrews says that his prayers, he cried aloud, cried out aloud with, with tears and shouts even in his prayer. Teach us to pray like you pray, Jesus. Teach us to depend on prayer like you depend on prayer. Teach us to pray with the passion and intimacy and fervor that you pray with. I want to take just a second where you are, and I'm going to invite you to pray. Before we even get into the meat of the sermon, would you just pray right there where you're at? I'm going to pray aloud, but would you ask God to speak to you? The God of the Bible wants to speak to you. Would you ask him to speak to you? Father, our hearts are laid bare before you. There's no posing in your kingdom. You know us. Would you speak to us what we need to hear? Some of us so weak and weary, we need encouragement today. Some so discouraged, some overwhelmed by doubt, we need real hope today. Some of us battling crippling anxiety, we need freedom today. You speak to us what we need to hear. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. In a recent survey, 90% of Christians that were surveyed said that they don't think that they pray very well. See, prayer can be difficult for some people. When we talk about prayer, sometimes a lot of negative feelings come up. My dad used to tell me that it was the issue of prayer that made his father stop going to church, that they would attend the little local Baptist church sometimes and then 
At some point, the pastor called on him, as little Baptist churches used to do, called on someone else to give the benediction, and he didn't really know how to pray. And who knows what had happened in his past, but his father probably shamed him for praying the wrong way, and he froze, didn't know what to do, overwhelmed with anxiety, never went back to church. Maybe your struggle with prayer, something similar to that. Maybe, it, maybe it's not that. Maybe it's not a bad situation that you walk through. Maybe it's just lack of understanding. I mean, have you ever thought this? If God knows everything, then why do I need to ask him? I mean, if he knows how many hairs are on my head and my thoughts before I think them, if he knows the day of my birth and the day of my eventual death, I mean, God knows literally everything. Then, then why do I need to ask him? There's, there's some tension there, and we're not going to resolve that completely. The tension of a sovereign God who runs creation and satisfies the desires of everything just by opening up his hand, but he also invites, exhorts, encourages us to pray. Really bold prayers for him to work in really bold ways in the world, in ways that I think he already desires to work. Am I the only one that feels this tension sometimes? God, if you know everything, then... What's the big deal? Why should I have to, why should, why should you want me to pray? And then Jesus' half-brother James tells us that there's some things that we don't get because we don't ask for them, that God's eager to give and eager to bless, and he is so ready to bring these things in our life, but we don't get them because we didn't ask for them. There's a, there's a tension here of a God who knows everything but invites us to come to him and pray. Now, for some of you, you're real prayer warriors, and this is going to be elementary to you. I just, just, just come along with us on this. My hope today is that everyone here would pray. Atheists in the room, those that are discouraged, those that are doubtful, those that maybe have not talked to the fa their father, God, in a long time. Those who are on the outside of Christianity, and you're kind of kicking the tires, and you don't know what this whole thing. I pray that every one of us take a step today in prayer. Notice first, as they say, Jesus teaches to pray, he immediately goes to our Father. This is the position of prayer. This is the first mind-blown emoji of the day. Can you imagine them hearing Jesus pray like that? They had never heard anyone pray like that. Our Father? Jesus goes to the Father, calling him Father, a very personal and intimate name. This was likely the reason they asked Jesus to teach them to pray, because it was unlike anyone else that, had ever, that they had ever heard prayed. No one in the first century referred to Elohim, God the Creator, Yahweh God. They wouldn't even write the, his covenant name. They, they lived in this just holy fear that he was at a distance. No one would call him Papa. That's, that's literally the translation, Papa. No one would call him that. But Jesus did. Creator, yes. Lord, yes. Adonai, yes. All those things. Elohim, yes. Yes. But then Jesus busts on the scene and he tells us and shows us that the correct way to pray, not the formula, but the correct way to pray is to be in relationship with the one who created you. 
the one who knit you together in your mother's womb, the one that knows your thoughts before you think them, the one that hung every star in space, that we have access to him, that we can go to him. We call him our father. As a matter of fact, Jesus used the word father 180 times in the New Testament. Jesus referred to the sovereign king of the universe as father 189 times. This is not some little sad thing. This was the preeminent way that Jesus is saying, this is what I want you to know. This is how you pray relationally. As a matter of fact, the only time that I could find in the New Testament where Jesus didn't address him as father, you know when it was? When he was on the cross. And your sin and my sin dangled around his neck and prevented relationship. And so he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus starts with Father. What he's saying is that for those in this room, for those disciples, for every believer that would ever come that had placed their faith and trust in Jesus, that God is their father the same way that he is to Jesus. In John 20, verse 17, Jesus has died on the cross and resurrected, and he's appearing to Mary, and he tells her specifically, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my father and your father. This wasn't just a special relationship that Jesus had with the Father. This is a relationship that we can all have with the Father. As a matter of fact, he, he calls him our Father. Like you're not just the single kid. You're not a, you're not a single kid in, in the family. You're, you know, it's, it's our Father. It's not your daddy. Our Father, right? This is how we pray. Our Father, collective brothers and sisters around us crying out this special relationship with our Father. John 1.12 says, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. This is the picture of adoption, that he is our father and we are his kids. And if we don't understand this familial language, we'll never be able to pray correctly. Prayer will always feel like drudgery or like duty. Notice Jesus didn't go to him and say, our judge in heaven. Our boss in heaven, our coach in heaven, even our Lord in heaven, which would have been true. Our Father. If we think of him as a judge hovering over us, ready to zap us, it's going to limit our prayer. Or as a boss hovering over us with this list of demands, or even as a genie who's up there just to grant every wish that we could, we could possibly think of, that we would demand and we see him wrongly. And I believe this is the number one reason why we as a church struggle in prayer because we don't see him as our father. And until we get this picture, we're not going to pray with freedom. We're not going to pray in relationship. We've got to understand that God loves us and delights in us and wants to be in communion with us so much so that he sent Jesus, his only son, to die on our behalf so that he might adopt us into the family. We weren't on sale. There was a high price that he had to pay, but he loved us to that extent that we could call him our father. J.I. Packer says this about 
the relationship to our Father. He says, you sum up, this is this great Reformed theologian, you may have read some of his stuff, incredible. You, you sum up the whole of the New Testament religion if you describe it as the knowledge of God as one's holy Father. If you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, he writes, find out how much he makes of the thought of being God's child and having God as his father. If this is not the thought that prompts and controls his worship and his prayer and his whole outlook on life, it means he doesn't understand Christianity very well at all. For everything that Christ taught and everything that makes the New Testament new and better than the old, everything that is distinctively Christian as opposed to merely Jewish is summed up in the knowledge of the fatherhood of God. Father is the Christian name for God. Our understanding of Christianity cannot be better than if we would just grasp our adoption. We've been adopted co-heirs with Christ, a royal priesthood, Peter would call us. And yet many of us are still living like we're ha still hanging out in the orphanage. That we, don't, we don't know the Father. We're trying to do a little song and dance so he'll be impressed with us. There's nothing we'll ever do in performance that will impress him. But in relationship, everything we do impresses him. We're his kids. Jesus could have told us to pray any way that he wanted. I call him father, but maybe you should call him boss or judge or coach or whatever. He didn't say that. He said, you know, the disciples, Lord, teach us to pray. Okay. Start like this. Our father. You ever met any of those people that pray the King James Version? I think they miss this, you know, King James, like the old English, the these and the thous and the thouists. As a kid, I used to love to find the cuss words in the King James Version, you know, and say them a lot in Sunday school. Got in trouble about that. Those people who pray in the King James, I, I, they miss this point altogether. If you're using these and thous in your prayer, your kids don't talk to you like that. Some of these people will pray, Thou mightiest God of the Old Testament, who parted the Red Sea, and thou made the sun stand still, while thou now answerest theest prayers todayest. Who talks to their dad like that? My kids don't bust into my room. Thou father who pays the bills and buy me Lululemon shorts. No, they say, hey dad, could I go to surge with my friends? Sure. Okay, I'm going to need you to take me there. I'm going to get paid $20. I'm going to need you to pick me up at midnight. Hey, Dad, I, I bombed the test today. I'm really bummed about it. Hey, Dad, there's this kid that's picking on me on the bus, and it's really bothering me. That's how they talk to me. With respect, certainly. But in relationship, this is the first key to praying. If it's not relational, it doesn't work. You got to know who you're praying to. If you were to go ask my kids and say, hey, how do you talk to your dad like that? Just busting up in his room while he's sleeping in the middle of the night, asking him for a hug. How do you talk to your dad like that? They would say, oh, 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 you can't. Only we can because he's our dad. 
This is true with the Father, except you're not on the outside. If you're a believer in here, you've been brought into the family. You've been given the rights to bust up into the room at any time, at any point, at any day, with any requests. No request too big, no request too small. You can just walk on in to Father's room and you can just lay your heart before him. Isn't that amazing? This is the access we have. Man, I wish our church would get excited about something. We'll get excited about something. Whew. Our Father who is in heaven. Maybe we should just have the little golf claps. We can do golf claps. That's, that's Presbyterian enough. Just little golf claps. Wouldn't we agree, right? I preached at a church a few months ago that was really diverse. It was about 35% uh, African-American, about 35% Latino. Man, that was a ride. I preached for an hour and a half. They just kept like, bring it to me. Keep saying it. That's why you don't say anything. I understand. You want to go to lunch. I understand. I got it. I got the code. It's cool. Our Father who is in heaven. Translation is he's not on the earth. It's another strange point that I've never really thought much about, that God doesn't need reminding that he's in heaven. God didn't get amnesia, and when we're praying, we're telling him, hey, God, you're in heaven. He knows. He knows where you're at. This is a reminder for our minds and our hearts. This is the power of prayer. He's our good heavenly father, and he's invited us to approach him with an understanding that he's not on earth. Now, this is so significant. If you had a problem, say you had a medical problem, you would seek out help, would you not? You would normally start with a generalist and then maybe an internist, an internal doctor, and then moving more and more specific until you got some answers to something that you were looking for. In 2018, I got walking pneumonia, and that turned into a two-year battle with chronic asthma at its height. I mean, for an entire year, I had to take a pill every four hours just so I could breathe. And I saw every specialist there was to see. I went to Dallas and saw specialists and Houston and saw specialists and pulmonologists and allergy specialists and thoracic surgeons and ENTs. And then God just healed me. As a matter of fact, this was so weird. I got COVID and got healed. How weird is that? I went to my doctor and she's like, it looks like you're healed. Either COVID did it or the Lord did it. I was like, let's go with the Lord. <laughs> COVID is of the enemy. We don't want any part of that. I'm making the point, if you need to know about flying, you go talk to Dave, or business, you go talk to Layton, or whatever your specialty is. You go, you go talk to people who know about those kinds of things. But God is not the resident advice giver. He's not just the know-it-all in the room. He's in heaven. See, your earthly father was limited by his five senses and his experience and his understanding that he was limited by the rules of gravity and time, but not your father in heaven. His knowledge is transcendent. His understanding is supernatural. His awareness is never lacking. Now, this is crucial when we pray. What Jesus is saying, that there's never anything too big for God. See, God's not like your earthly father. He's not limited by time and space or senses or logic. He's not, he's, not, he's not 
He's not confined by practical medicine. He's not, he's, he's, he's not limited with the money in the bank. He's not limited by logic. In Daniel 4.26, God reminds us that heaven rules over the earth. And our father is in heaven. Therefore, he's not like our earthly father limited. This is why we, we need to pray this way. We need to know this this way, to know that God is our father and that his power is unlimited in scope. This is what the angel would remind Mary of. How in the world can this be, Mary says as a teenager? Nothing is impossible with God. Some of us just need to write that on a card and we need to stick it to our mirror and to our card and tattoo it on our forearm that we would remember that nothing is impossible with God. Nothing, literally nothing is impossible with God. I was reading this week, Jonah. Jonah is so mad at God. He, he's so upset with God. He tries to run away. God gets him swallowed by a huge fish. He goes begrudgingly to the city. He preached the worst sermon that he could ever preach. And the whole city repents and gets saved. Because it's not, it's not my message or Jonah's message. This is what God does. Nothing impossible. No person too far from God. No medical diagnosis too complicated for God to... to, to too dark for God to get it. There's nothing impossible with God, church. Isn't this amazing? Doesn't this encourage your heart? The Old Testament is full of this very narrative. We sang so many of these today. You know, the time where Joshua needed a little more time. And so God stopped the sun. Literally just stopped the sun. That's pretty amazing. Or where he split the Red Sea open and they walked through on dry ground. Or however many times he raised the dead. You're like, well, look, all that's Old Testament stuff. Well, let's go to the New Testament. There's so many in the New Testament. Let's not even talk about all the miracles that Jesus did <clears throat> that are in almost every chapter of, of, of the Gospels. Let's go to Acts. Jesus is gone. The Holy Spirit's come. This is in Acts 12. Remember, James had just been killed. Peter, their leader, is now in prison. They are scared to death. But instead of getting out blueprints of the prison, how are we going to break him out? In verse 5 of Acts chapter 12, so Peter was kept in prison. Man, I love this. But earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. From all appearances, this was a hopeless situation. Again, James had already been killed. The church is gathering. They're trying to pick off the leaders of the church. Knowing that Peter's death, it even says it in this passage, that Herod's fixing to go get him. Like, we're hours away from Peter's death, but God's like, you know what? It's not time. Peter's death is all but a sure thing unless God intervened, and the church knew this, and they believed this, and so they begin to pray. Friends, can I just remind you that prayer works? Prayer, I don't know how it works. I just know that my Father in heaven has invited me to come and to continue coming and to bring my prayers to him. And he's good and just and he knows everything and he's not limited by any of the senses or any medical diagnosis. He's not limited by anything. And the heart of God is moved when I pray. Prayer is what links us up with God. Just because this was a hopeless situation in man's dreams, they knew nothing was impossible for God. And so they began an earnest prayer for him. Prayer is what links us up with God. Friends, God has not lost his power. It wasn't that the last word of the New Testament was written in, in Revelation and then God's like, okay, time's up, you know. 
No, God still works. He still moves in power. And friends, that's all they had, and it was all that they needed. See, their attitude was so much different than ours. They were living by faith, not by sight. Don't look at what you see. I mean, be aware of what you see, but look at what God might do. It was those Israelites that were trapped between the two mountains and the Red Sea and the Egyptian army, and they're like, oh, this is over. We're toast. Moses, why'd you bring us out here? Moses didn't have his GPS. And God's like, I want you to see what God could do. He raised that staff up and that sea parted on dry ground. I'm a big archaeological guy, and I've been reading even this week about all the chariot wheels that they've been finding in this one little area of the Red Sea. It's incredible. Guys, like, listen, when it comes to God, it's not over until it's over. It's not over until God says it's over. And this is the beautiful thing about life. Even if it's over in this life, most of us in this room, we're going to die. I mean, everyone I've ever known from the past has died. Eventually. Even Lazarus, raised from the dead, still had to die. It's not God's normal operation, but even that, we get eternity with him. Don't look at what you see. Look at what God might do. Our Father, remind yourself, who is in heaven. Verse 6, I don't think I have this on the screen, but when Herod was about to bring him out, on that very night, Herod's coming. Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with chains and sentries before the door were guarding in prison. I mean, this guy was on lockdown with the, with the you know, the SEAL Team 6 here. They, they, he's not going anywhere. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him, and a bright light shone in the cell, and he struck Peter on the side and woke him up, saying, get up quickly, it's time to go. And the chains fell off his hands. You can go read that story that Peter's like, thinks he's in a dream, he's, then he wakes up and he's outside on the road, and he's like, oh, that wasn't a dream, and he goes to the house where they're praying, and the girl comes and answers the door, and she, she can't even believe that God answered their prayer. He's like, hey, a guy that looks a lot like Peter is outside. Um, I don't know what's happening here. Friends, did you know that prayer is the real battlefield of the world? The real battlefield where decisive events of time and history are decided is in the faithful group of followers of the Lord who are down on their knees and they're praying without ceasing to God. God, move. God, do it again. God, save. God, rescue. Paul would remind the church of Corinth this in chapter 10 and verse 3. For though we walk in the flesh, we're not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh. Their prayer, they have divine power to destroy strongholds. Amen? The power of prayer. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Just the hallowed part means to be set apart, to be something other than. To have esteem. You know, if you walked into my kitchen, there's probably a few dishes from breakfast in the sink. Those are dirty dishes. They're tainted dishes, right? And then someone will come along and wash those dishes and they'll put them up in the cabinet. Those are our everyday dishes. Just a little insight into my life. None of our dishes match. We're not that kind of people, right? We've got dishes from 1988 and 98 and 2008 they're all just kind of up there 
These are regular dishes. But then in a special cabinet, in a completely different room, with lights on them, we have the special dishes. You have those special dishes at home? The dishes they call the fine china? In my house, you could, I mean, you got in trouble if you even looked at the fine china. Sometimes we couldn't find a, a clean fork and we would go and we would get the gold forks out of the fine china cabinet. It was not good. You better just eat it with your hands and touch those forks, right? Those are hallowed dishes. Those are set-apart dishes. When we go, this is the power of our Heavenly Father. That we go to him, he's our father relationally, we're connected, but we ask him to move and to do some incredible things. And he could do it because he's not like us. He's in heaven. Let me close with this idea of the posture of prayer. We know who he is, he's our father. We know what he can do. He's not limited by time and space and science and medicine. He's the one to create all those things. He's not limited by anything. But he's our father because we're his children. This is the posture of prayer. How do we pray? We pray as needy, confident children. Jesus would say, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the, those that know they're spiritually needy. Look at how needy we are as children. We're asking him for our daily bread. We're praying like we don't even have a pantry. We're asking him to help us in our weakness with temptation. If you go down in the prayer, we're asking him. We can't even forgive people. We're asking him to help us forgive people as we've been forgiven. We are so needy. We're to cry out like needy children to have the posture that if God doesn't work in the, the minute details of my life, then I can't imagine how this thing's going to go terribly for me. We're needy, but we're confident. We draw near. Notice the six petitions. Three of them about, are about God, not just about our needs. We, we go to him as needy but confident children. Look how amazing he is and what he can accomplish. In the Account in Luke, right after this, Jesus gives a parable about the friend at midnight. And again, we looked at that a couple months ago. About the guy who has a guest that comes to his house and he didn't have any bread for his, for, his, for his guest. And so he goes and knocks on his neighbor door at literally the middle of the night and says, Hey, can you give me some several loaves of fish? And he's asking him not even for an, an emergency. He didn't say, Hey, my wife is hemorrhaging all over the floor. There's been a bad fall. He just says, Hey, I need a snack. I need some bread. As Hudson says, I'm a little hungry. That's what he goes and asks him. Jesus says this in this passage. Though the neighbor will not give up and give him anything because he's a friend, yet because of his impudence or his boldness, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. Okay, Jesus, that's a good story. Jesus says in verse 9, and I tell you this, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find, knock, and it will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, it will be open. The posture of prayer, we come as needy, but confident kids. And we keep coming. Tim Keller pointed out that the reason it says knock is because knock is something you never do once. If you knock and just hit the door once, you're going to think a kid fell out of the bed. 
you're going to think something fell off the wall. Knock is knock, 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 right? This is what Jesus says. This is how prayer comes. We just keep coming. To trust but relentlessly bug God is only something a child can do. Only little children are bold enough to constantly be asking dad for something, but also trust that they don't have to understand everything that he says. See, if we relate relate to him as an employee and we ask the boss to do something and he says, no, we want an explanation. Well, then you got to tell us why, why, why you're not going to do that. Or if we see him as a judge and we're before the judge and he says we can't have something, again, we want an explanation. Well, tell me why and where in the law it says that and what did I do to, to, to be guilty? But, we'd, but a little kid to their dad, a four-year-old in front of dad, dad does not have to explain why they can't have ice cream at 10 o'clock. He can just say no and they can just keep asking. Think about the president. Who, who could get away with asking the president for something at 3 a.m. Not even his wife. He'd be like, hey, babe, give me some water. He'd be like, is there a reason you can't get your own water? Let me call the Secret Service to get you some water. They're right outside. But a kid can because they have a relationship with him as father. Only little children are bold enough to constantly asking dad for something. They're needy, but also they're confident. Some of you moms know this. You know the mom, 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 mom thing, right? Can I have cake? Can I have ice cream? Can I have my friends spend the night on school night? Whatever it is. The other day, Ellie came home, and she's really too old for this, but she was craving some mozzarella sticks, and she was coming in hard. She was using every pitch she had, mozzarella sticks. I did good on my test today. I'm going to run in a race this weekend. My birthday's a week from now. I mean, she was just throwing, you know, like, I need some mozzarella sticks, and I was at 9 o'clock. I've already showered. I'm 15 minutes from bed, you know. I'm, I'm on the downhill slope. No, no, no. Well, mom's like, let's go. It's like, you're ruining the whole thing. And why are you there? Will you give me some mozzarella sticks? You know, that's <laughs> mozzarella sticks should not be eaten alone. You know, this is, we got to. She was not thrown off by one no. She didn't need to know all the reasons why or why not, but she did know that she could keep asking. See, children pray aggressively and trustingly. And if you don't hear anything else today, that's what I want you to hear. Children pray aggressively. God, I need you to move. I need you to do this. I need you to save my lost mom or dad. I need you to, I need you to work in my coworker's life. My good friend has got terminal cancer. I need you to move, God. I need you to move. I'm going to pray aggressively. I'm going to keep coming. I'm going to keep coming. I'm going to keep knocking. I'm going to keep knocking. Knowing that he's the God in heaven, he can do anything. But also trusting That if he decides not to move in the way that I'm asking, that he has a reason for it. He knows everything. He's not limited by time and space. Again, Tim Keller, the late Tim Keller would say, if you knew everything God knows and you love the way that God loves, you would answer your prayers the same way God is answering you. He sees from a perspective that you can't see. At its most basic level, the Christian life is a praying life. Now, the disciples learn how to pray like this. And I want us as a church to learn how to pray. There's no saint in here who is too mature, who's got prayer down. 
prayer is our communication with God. I encourage you to find a way to pray. Thomas Ballard's in here somewhere. He'll probably be standing in the back praying in a little bit. If you've never had a chance to have Thomas and Donna Ballard pray over you, you should do it. Y'all miss opportunity every week when he's standing back there. He showed me one time his, I didn't even ask him to share this. I hope this is okay, Thomas. He's got these journals of prayers. He keeps them in a safe. Dozens of them of prayers that he's prayed for decades and decades. It's incredible. It's a man who knows the power of prayer. I wonder how many of those are just frequented the same thing, the same person, the same loved one, the same struggle. He's just praying and praying persistently. My challenge for us, church, is that we would pray and that we would keep on praying. Ephesians 6.18. This is after the sword of the Spirit and all the battle outfitting we're supposed to do. The Apostle Paul ends this way, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication to that end that we would keep alert with all perseverance, making prayer or supplication for all the saints. I'm going to land the plane. I'm going to, I've got five minutes left. Here's what I want you to do. I want everybody to get out their phone. Get out your phone wherever you're at. you got a phone. Those of you who've got the actual uh, calendar, you can get that out. If you're not a phone person, you got the, you're carrying around the paper calendar or Palm Pilot or whatever, whatever you got. I want you to set an alarm for 618 every day. That says Ephesians 6, chapter 6, verse 18, praying at all times in the spirit with all kinds of prayer and supplication, keeping alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. This is our step. I want us to all pray. This week, for the next seven days, once you're done with seven days, you don't have to do, you don't have to do this thing. I want you to keep praying. You don't have to do this thing again. I'm, I'm hoping it'll catch on and we'll just make this the rhythm of our life. And you say, well, is it a.m. or p.m.? Do it for both. It'd be great. I mean, can, you, can you pray too much? I don't think you can. I'd love it if you're only going to pick one, though, to pick the evening. Because I'd love for you to be around the dinner table and your phone go off and your kids be like, hey, what's that? Oh, this is our reminder to pray. And just ask your kids to pray. Or you pray. Wouldn't it be amazing if all of us took this step of prayer, unified, striving side by side for our faith and your faith and their faith that we're praying together, all in. I told you about my friend Hal Gorman one time that I was eating blueberry pancakes with at uh, Highway 67 Diner and he gets a call and he starts weeping and he goes outside and he comes back in 20 minutes later and I finished my pancakes and his uh, <clears throat> And I said, how, what's going on? He said, that was the guy that I went to school with my whole life and haven't really seen him since he was a senior. We were seniors in high school. This man is in his 60s. He said, I have prayed for him every day for 50 years. And he just called to tell me that wherever he is in the world, he just gave his heart and life to Christ. And he looked at me as a young youth pastor and he said, Luke, don't you ever forget that prayer works. Don't stop praying. See, I feel like some of us, we just have grown weary in praying. We prayed for a year or two or ten. God hasn't moved like we thought he was going to move, and so we gave up. 
Friends, don't give up. Keep laboring in prayer. Our Father in heaven, he hears you. I'm going to end with this little acronym of prayer. I can invite the band. You guys come on up. For those of you who say, well, Luke, I'm just new to this. I don't even know what to pray. Let me give you this little acronym. Again, if you're a varsity level of praying, you don't have to write this down. You just keep doing what you're doing. But this helps me to see the power of God break in. Acronym pray. The P is to pause. This is where we just calm our hearts. See, a lot of us pray like we're in a drive-thru. And we're doing two or three things at one time. And we, it's not for him. It's not like he can't hear the drive-by prayers. That's fine. But he wants us to be still before him. You just pause. It helps to take a couple deep breaths in. Give him your under. This takes two minutes. I think we can all, uh, two minutes. We're going to pause. We're going to take a few deep breaths. The R is for Remember. Remember that he's your father and you're his kid. That he's invited you to boldly come into the throne room at any time with any request. He delights for you to come. He's not screening your call. I was telling my kids this the other day about, you know, when we had landlines, we had this really long cord on the kitchen phone that we could walk all over the house with it. We weren't, we weren't, we didn't have the portable phone yet. You just had this really long cord and you had to untangle it every Saturday night because it gets... And he said, well, how did you, Ellie said, well, how did you screen people's calls? Oh, you didn't. You just answered. And if it was the insurance agent, you had to talk to him. That's just what it was. God, God doesn't screen our calls. You don't get on his nerves. He doesn't say, oh, there's Luke again. I'm so mad at Luke. He didn't do what I asked him to do last time. I just, man, he didn't do that. He's so excited when you come. He's so excited when you call. He delights for you to come. This kind of access is unbelievable. Most of you don't know the college coach of your favorite team. If it's LSU or Florida or an A&M, I mean, you yell at the TV like you know the coach, but you don't know the coach. You can't call him and say, hey, let's, let's not run those plays next time. Most of you don't even know the CEO of the own company you work for. Some of you might, but most of you don't. Me might know your boss, but you don't know that boss's boss. Not well enough you'd call him at 3 a.m. And God has given you unlimited access and says, please call anytime. Come into my presence anytime. Pause and remember that he's your father and that he's in heaven and there's nothing that's too hard for him. That's, and then the A is just ask. Just ask him. Whatever's on your heart, Little or big, God, would you resurrect my tomato plant? Would you help my little cat, Chloe, get better? Or I've got a terminal diagnosis and it does not look good. Or my mom or daughter is lost. They're so far from God. Nothing too small, nothing too big. Just ask them. And the prayer even in this is, Lord, give us our daily bread. Our practical needs, Lord, forgive us. Lord, help us to forgive others. There's so much bitterness. It's so hard to forgive others. Lord, you got to help. See, that's a big ask. The other day, I was at Chick-fil-A with HUD. 
I said, Hub, why don't you pray? We had a little bro night. Why don't you pray? And he looked at me weird and looked around. He's like, Dad, I don't know what to pray. Just pray what's on your heart, bud. So he bowed his head and he had one eye open, seeing who was looking at him. And uh, he said, I don't know what to say. I said, well, tell God that. And he said, God, I don't know what to say, but I'm pretty excited about this chicken sandwich. And I said, right on. You just ask him. This is what we talked about in the series, pray what you've got. You just ask. He's your father. No these or thou's are needed. You just come and open your heart. And then the wise yield. This is our posture as children. God always answers our prayers. He'll either say yes or no or not yet. But because he's in heaven and not limited in understanding or power, love or perspective, we can trust him. We yield. Even Jesus yielded in the garden. He asked God, would you take this away from me? But not my will, but yours. Even in this prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done. Lord, I've got an, I've got an opinion and I've got a request and I'm going to lay it before you and I'm going to keep coming with it, but I trust you. You're the good father. So now we're going to pray. We're not doing communion today. My invitation to you is to pray. If you don't know what to do, maybe you could just walk through this. I'm going to walk us through this together, the pray scenario. But everyone's got a little card in your hand. And I would love for you just to write one thing that you're asking God for. Now, you don't have to turn that in later. The baskets will be passed. If you want to turn that in, if you want to make that confidential, so just me and Jason see it, there's a place to mark that on there. We just want to know what you're praying for. We want to pray with you for that. But if that's not a step you're ready to take, that's fine. Just write it for yourself. Sometimes it just helps to just take a step. What are you, what are you praying for? If God answered all the prayers you prayed last week, well, what would change in the world? What, what are we actually going to him and asking him for? prayer team's going to be in the back a couple of our leaders will be in the back maybe you just need to grab someone next to you maybe you haven't prayed with your wife or your husband in a long time it's been weird it's been awkward it's cool no judgment I'm really maybe today would be a day that you would just say a little prayer together God we don't we don't really know what to say but but we, but we want to pray more maybe that's your prayer Some of you in this room, you're so far from God. Maybe you're like the rich young ruler. You've done a lot of religious things, but you've never had a relationship with him. It would be pastoral malpractice not for me to invite you to step across the line of faith today. Jesus came and died on the cross with your sin and my sin on him so that we could be adopted into the family of God. He was condemned so that we could be accepted. He was killed so that we might have abundant life. Man, I pray you would take that step today. Talk about praying on a whole different level. Maybe you're like the prodigal in Luke 15. You've run from God. Sowed your wild oats. You feel so far from him. You're coming up with excuses why he might be able to accept you back. No, the excuses don't matter. Just come to him. Maybe you're like Mary. Remember when Lazarus died and Jesus showed up three days too late? She was disappointed. Maybe you've been disappointed in God. He didn't answer the prayer that you prayed, and so now you're still mad at him. Maybe you just do business with him. On all of us, just to pray, just real quickly, we're going to sing in just a second.
Let's pause. Just take a few deep breaths. Let's remember that he's our father. He's intimate and powerful. And we're his children. Maybe just thank him for being such a good dad, a good heavenly father. Then you just ask him whatever's on your heart, whatever you wrote down, whatever you're going to write down. Maybe it's something that no one else even knows in this room. You've never shared. You're just going to ask him for it. Maybe you've got a close friend who's lost and doesn't know Jesus. You want to pray for that friend. Maybe you've got little kids. You're going to pray over your kiddos that God would use them mightily, that they'd be sensitive to the things of God. Maybe you're walking through a financial struggle and you're asking him for provision. Maybe there's people against you and they're maligning your name and you're going to ask him for protection. Maybe you're overwhelmed with anxiety and you're going to ask him for peace. Maybe it's bitterness and unforgiveness of someone who's hurt you. You're going to ask him to heal that wound. Just ask him. And then I want you to yield to him. Oh, this is this powerful prayer right here, friends. God, we acknowledge that we see from a limited perspective. life is really hard sometimes and broken relationships and diseases and our own grief and Lord you didn't act in the past like we wanted you to act and we prayed and we prayed and you didn't answer and we don't understand why but we yield to you Lord not my will yours be done do what God puts on your heart. Our prayer team's back there. They would love to pray over you. Grab someone close to you. This altar's open. I mean, it's a gym floor, but feel free to come pray. You need to put some feet to those prayers. Maybe you should spend some time writing on your card, just writing it out. Commune with your Father. He's waiting on you.